The Sports Career Podcast, episode 198, how to start a career in sports broadcasting. Hello Sports Achiever, it's Ed Bowers here, your host on this podcast show. If this is the first time you're tuning in, it's great to have you here and thank you for giving this show a listen. But if you're a loyal listener, I'm always grateful to you who listens every single week. But before I talk about this week's special guest, I just wanted to share with you my sports career mastermind group, which is on Facebook. And this Facebook group's all about one thing, helping people grow a network around the world with other like-minded people. I share posts with different events that are going on around the world so you can get the best knowledge with regards to pursuing a career in the sports industry. So if you want to check it out, just go to education2sport forward slash FB. And it's great to see you in the Facebook group. And I look forward to hearing more about your sports career ambition as well. Getting back to today's show, each week I like to provide you with a sports industry expert in a particular field in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports broadcasting. I really do hope that this episode can support you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's episode, this week's special guest is Mark Clement. Mark is a sports broadcaster, event presenter, and he is also a presentation coach, where he has over 20 years of experience in the sports broadcasting industry, where he's been involved in all aspects of sports broadcasting, such as television, radio, and journalism. For example, he's been on BBC One's Final Score, The Football League Show, BBC Radio 5 Live, a presenter for BT Sport, and even a writer for The Times. For that reason, it's such a privilege to have Mark as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Mark will share his sports career journey and explain to you the reality of starting a career in sports broadcasting. Mark, it's such a privilege to have you on the podcast show. Please do share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Wow, what a killer first question. And this is going to burn up at least five minutes of our chat. Do you know what? Uh, it was a happy accident, and it started on the 7th of April, 1998. I'm a Middlesbrough fan, and my team the previous year had been to both cup finals and lost and been relegated all in the space of about six, eight weeks. And we were regrouping in the championship, and we were doing okay, but we weren't excelling. And we went to Sheffield United away on that day. And we had a Colombian striker called Hamilton Rickard. And he didn't get a single one of his shots that night on target, but every single one of the 2,000 away support went home with bruises where these balls had hit us. And I just happened to say genuinely in, in the back of this car to a pal of mine I was traveling with, wouldn't it be great if there was a, a fanzine program on the radio? So a forerunner to the podcast, but back then, obviously, it wasn't as easy. We didn't have you know, digital recording. And he said, yeah, it would. So over the next couple of months, 
we worked on ideas for a format that became a program called Red Balls on Fire, dedicated to Middlesbrough. It was sort of chat, but with a few satirical sketches in there as well. And we worked while the World Cup was on in 1998. And then we recorded a prototype around my dining room table with myself, him, two other supporters. And we marketed quite well. We rang off cassettes. Anybody that doesn't remember those, ask your grandparents, little rectangles with little dials in the middle and you'd put them on and play them. But we put, we did a logo and we actually printed a couple of one-off t-shirts and we sent a pack to the local BBC station, a pack to the local commercial station. And the BBC rang us within a week, said, come in for a chat. They gave us a five-week trial on 30 quid each, 30 quid for him, 30 quid for me of this program. And we got through the first five weeks. They said, will you take it through to the end of the season, put our money up to 50 quid each. And everything that has happened to me in the intervening years has stemmed from that moment and that chance comment. And of course, what I've done is gloss over and very quickly covered a whole load of ground but the pain along the way and the sacrifice and the learning and the nerves, Ed. I mean, the first six months I used to, this was pre-recorded on a Thursday night for a, a broadcast on a Friday night. And I used to have to stand outside this BBC building, even though it was pre-recorded, even though it was edited to take all the, the sort of bumps and grinds out. And I used to have to give myself a pep talk and say, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. So I suppose lesson number one, Lots of us have to act as if, and that still goes on now. Sometimes I get a really big gig because I host a heck of a lot of conferences, facilitate events, award ceremonies, and sometimes there'll be a real biggie out there and you're thinking, yikes, and you've got to really hold it together. Get out there and just stand firm and not let people see the whites of your eyes. Mark, thank you so much for sharing this story, starting off with the first question, because I've got this big smile on my face, because really what you've just shared is like that sort of startup trial and error. And just looking back, you talked about the nerves and the importance of having that confidence. But just going back from that example, how has that supported you looking forward with all the other projects you've been involved in? Because sometimes really quickly with my podcast journey, it was very much the same. I started on my dining room table and now I'm interviewing you four years on. So looking back now, would you say that was your sort of breakthrough moment which led to more exciting things ahead? Yeah, because I think it's what I call an air miles industry. So the more you do, the more you benefit. And I find myself increasingly repeating things but in a, on a different stage. So, for example, in the very early days of Red Balls on Fire – we were trying to find quirky guests and we got together a couple of, I think it was the local priest and the local church of England vicar. And do you know, fundamentally it was the same questions when I got to interview the then archbishop of Canterbury, George Kerry, who was a big Arsenal fan about eight, nine years later for five Live, something that we put out on new year's day. So the skill set was established then, and my skill set is I'm very entrepreneurial. I've never worked for anybody. I don't often sign sort of contracts for either, even a season. People will offer you them, but when I've been offered them, sometimes it takes you into a comfort zone and you coast. So 
I go very raw and I work hand to mouth and project to project. Don't get me wrong. I got a fundamental understanding with, say, football focus, that they like the sort of films that I do and are going to take a certain amount of season. Obviously, there's a commitment for final score, the live BBC One and Red Button results program. Same with BBC Radio 5 Live. I've kind of got a pre-kickoff on a Saturday slot and a post-kickoff slot. But that those entrepreneurial values have, have underpinned everything. You know, uh, even now, it's the same principle. It's the same principle of how you invited me on here we connected on LinkedIn and then he said oh great would you mind doing a podcast and I'd done the same so I got all the guests for Red Balls on Fire very nervously big Jack Charlton's just died quite recently I remember building up I went from fans to local journal to minor ex-player to more major ex-player and about three months in I plucked up the courage and got big Jack Charlton's number and rang him and he you know he had, hello oh, I'm doing the hello and I was shaking like a leaf you know, well, you'd better come and see me then, son, hadn't you? I said, well, well what, what's your address? No, no, just head for this village and you'll find everybody knows where I am. Just head across the field. I mean, across, what? Walk across the field? No, no, I've got to drive. I've got to drive. So, you know, we turn up to meet Big Jack at home and he's, he's got 15 quid bought in the newsagent's reading glasses on, held together with sellotape on, his, on the side. His wife's tutting in the background and saying, will you try and persuade him to buy some new specs? He can afford it after all he's done. And he was hospitality personified. But that has continued right the way through. So, of course, there's a, a process now because you're dealing with terrestrial network programs. But it's still the same principle. I'd agree with an editor. What, do you, what, what, what should we do this with? Oh, Brentford are doing well. Okay, I'll ring the manager or I'll ring the press officer or I'll ring the chairman and we'll see if we can make it happen. So I still do most of my own fixing even now. Just on that note, because this is to help university students get into the sports industry and you mentioned it already and I do the same, reaching out to special guests. How important is, is it just to be confident when reaching out to people? Because like you said, it's part of not just sports broadcasting, but all walks of life in any career journey. So with your communication skills, how have you had the confidence to just stand up with your words when reaching out to these people? That makes sense. I think you just have to because my motivation is I'll take the sacrifice on what I call short-term pain because I don't want to feel long-term pain. So if I don't make the approach in the short term to fill up, say, a slot for a certain week, I know I'll have let myself down in the long term and not achieving my long-term objectives. So you've just got to push through to make the big picture happen. And one of the events I hosted, it must have been 2013, and I I hosted a big coaching conference at St. George's Park, which is kind of the education center of the English FA. And for a few years, I hosted this thing called the Licensed Coaches Club. And we had about 300 with us one day. And the idea was we went in the big internal sports hall. It was in December. And the then head coach, Roy Hodgson, would do a coaching session and everybody would stand on the sidelines and they've got a sort of higher level as well and watch this going on. Anyway, to do this, obviously they had to be able to hear Roy. So, uh, you know, to, towards the starting point as, as sort of Wolves 
and West Brom's under-18s warmed up to be put through their paces. Can you imagine by the England head coach? Somebody said, oh, Roy, you will need to wear a, a microphone in order that people can hear. And the people had little headsets so they could hear the coaching session going on. And he sort of moaned, oh, do I have to? Oh, 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 oh. So he puts this microphone on. And then, of course, Sky had managed to get in where they always do and wanted to film this session and follow the progress so they said oh can we put our mic on too and we're like, no 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 and he, and he had a little bit of a mood he had a little bit of a wobbly and all the FA people are running around oh we've upset the England head coach what are we going to do Roy drifted off halfway across the pitch Ed I hadn't even met him at that point and I'm thinking oh my gosh I've got to introduce him I've got to stop him at certain points to have a, a chat with him what am I going to do so I sort of gently sidled up to him and then just said, I'm Mark Clement. I'm hosting the events there. Oh, hello, Mark. How are you? And I thought, I, I need to just build a bit of rapport and, and do a few icebreakers. And, my, and one of my number one rules is I rarely discuss what's going to happen in terms of content before. I don't give any warning of questions. I don't give any indication. So therefore, the rapport needs to be general stuff, just like you would if you met somebody for the first time. And it could be anodyne incidentals like the weather or your travel route and stuff like that. But I'd done my research as you do and I'd read his Wikipedia and it said he was a massive fan of the Rolling Stones. So I said, hey, Roy, I, hear I just went for it. I went, hey, Roy, I hear you're a fan of the Rolling Stones. He went, Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones. No, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of the Rolling Stones. I mean, I, I appreciate their musical prowess, but I'm not a fan of the Rolling Stones. As a matter of fact, I'm a big fan of Tamil and Motown. And I swear to you, for the next five minutes, while everybody ran about thinking, is he okay? Is he going to start the session? All the supporters on the sidelines sort of waited to hear these pearls of wisdom from then England head coach. Ed, we were drilling down into obscure 1960s soul tracks, and he was telling me that he'd got the re-recording of something. To this day, I can't remember what the track was, and I really regret it, but he wanted to find a copy of the original, how he had them all on his... And this was going on in the middle. You just wouldn't have expected it. So, you know, treat him like human beings and have a bit of balls to go for it and show them that you're genuinely interested by dripping with research, N not to overly impress them, but just let them see that you have done your research and, and you will reap lots and lots of benefits. I hope that hasn't gone off at a tangent, but it just, I mean, I, I'm not a brilliant broadcaster, but I'm quite a good networker and rapport builder. And, you know, those things are hugely important. Mark, I disagree. I think you're a brilliant sports broadcaster. And I really do hope the listeners have enjoyed that story because behind the scenes, you're sharing the importance of building meaningful relationships. It's something I say with networking, I call networking a skill. And what you've just shared there with Roy Hodgson, I, I hope people can dissect the truths of building those meaningful connections. Just with regards to the skill sets now, because you do radio, you do presenting, you do television. Out of interest, with regards to the communication aspects, how are they transferable? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, words obviously are words, but once you start to... I still think in terms of words, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm quite trusting of the people that I work with, that I'm working, say, in live studios with brilliant technicians who know exactly how to light my baldy head and make me stand in the right place and all that kind of stuff. 
And similarly, actually, when I'm out on location, probably the personnel that come come with me probably rotate more than you would think. When I did a show called the Football League Show that used to follow Match of the Day, we were a little team. There was a set producer and a camera man, and there was an edit suite in the little van because we were filming Saturday afternoons, and obviously it went out at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. So we used to do all the pre-match stuff, and then I'd go and watch the game because obviously I needed to be able to ask questions about it after the match, and the producer and the cameraman would go in the in the cameraman's van with a little edit suite and they'd kind of do a rough cut of the 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 sort of pre-match stuff and then we'd get together to do the post-match and that formed the body of the 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 package that went out but so i've always been quite trusting from that point of letting people get on with it so when i work with a football focus producer now usually they're done on a thursday to be tx'd on a, a saturday now if something's really burning me like a really good topic and a little exchange I'll go be nice to see a bit of that going but generally speaking I accept the fact that I've just done 12 15 minutes with somebody and it's a four minute feature and there's lots that's going to be sacrificed hit the cutting room floor and never be seen so I, I kind of I always think in terms of words and content and let people other people you know use their expertise and, and kind of make it look nice but there's no doubt about it if you look at the trajectory of you know take it take a Gary Lineker if you go back 25 years where he cut his teeth for to transition from being a top international world-class footballer into the, the person that we see week in week out on match the day was they blooded him on five live sport it was probably on two then but sport on two or whatever it was then going back all those those years. So he cut his teeth, you know, having those exchanges, that, that long-form stuff, so that when you end up on television, you're that little bit more concise because that's the big difference. You know, something like radio, you, you can easily, in the last few weeks, I've done an hour last night as on the day that we're recording this, two hours last week, two hours the week before. When you, when you hit telly, you just simply don't have that luxury. There's no time to overrun. There's no time. If you've got four minutes, you've got to do four minutes. And that's another absolutely fundamental lesson that anybody in the broadcast industry needs to know. You've got to respect the pecking order. If you're given a certain amount of time to do something, that is the time. It's not debatable. You can't go flowery off into little cul-de-sacs and bring it in two minutes late if you're on a live because you could be bumping the news if it's radio or all sorts. You've got to understand where you fit and stick to the parameters and resources that you're given. May I ask how you prepare yourself for those, let's say, four-minute slots? Is there any little tips you do for yourself to make sure you don't overrun? Do you know what I do if I'm doing, say, a film... I probably completely over-prepare. I know a lot of people that just go out and wing it, but the really juicy stuff and how you really drill down and get into people is by, again, showing them that you really know their career. So, I mean, I haven't got one to, to hand, but just to give you an indication, I mean, you know, you send, the, you send a load of notes and stuff out and I'm showing them to the camera for anybody that might be watching a a clip now and you send a pack out and it's here by my side just to be absolutely sure so you know I always read everything from cover to cover I will prepare a, a sort of document that will have the club's latest stats maybe their 
history of the last time they were in a certain division, the sort of manager or players' stats of where they've been throughout their career. And then I'll have plotted out eight, 10, 12 questions so that when I'm getting close to the training ground, then I'll, A, first of all, that relaxes me. So as I, as I travel, I probably try and relax and don't over-stew it and over-bubble it. And when I get close to the training ground, I turn those questions into maybe a keyword so that by the time I meet them, that piece of paper actually never comes out of my pocket. It's just been a reminder to go ground, big game, center forward, next year and I've just got these little buzz phrases in my head and you know I don't even need to recall them conversations just naturally flow but all that research again just allows the individual if I'm building a relationship with them to see this guy ain't just winging it because because honestly people turn up at stuff like press conferences or they just ask the most inappropriate out of context questions you know and some of the big clubs if you go to a Liverpool or something like that you know, the radio people, the interviewers will go in what's called a pool. So you'll take it in turns and everybody gets the answers, but maybe you'll get three questions, you'll get three questions, you'll get three questions. But at, at, at somewhere like Liverpool, they, wrote, they don't say you have your three, then you have your three so that you can make it like a one-to-one. -one. It's you ask one, then you ask one, then you ask one, then you ask one, then you go back to the start. And of course, it's absolutely hopeless if you're trying to build a theme because it could be your first question needs to open the gate and your next question needs to really wedge it open and get in there but of course you've asked the first question and then you come to the next person they go oh, do you think so-and-so will be fit for the weekend and the whole thing's blown out of the water and by the time it comes back around it's gone off down a completely different cul-de-sac so um, how do we get to this point, Ed? Can you remember? What was the question that you asked me? Did I answer it? That would be the question I have for you. You have answered it, and, and I love how you sort of give juicier reasonings because it leads to my next point. And I hope you don't mind me saying this because I'm a bit of a geek when I try and learn from presenters. How do you define a good question? Because sometimes now I see people say statements, not questions. For broadcasters listening in of how they can improve their questioning skills, what would it be? I think it's a combination, actually. I mean, I would argue my, it's probably a comment I made when I worked on BT Spot, a, there was a, a, a brilliant sort of head of football over there called Grant Best, and he gave me so many gentle straighteners that really set me on my way. And one of the things was he rang me after one particular program. I've been hosting live matches and said, your questions are too long, mate. You need to shorten them. And it's probably still true now, but but actually... Sometimes we put a little bit of an elongated question or a statement in there because we can hit the interviewee with energy and bring their level and, and tone up. But similarly, you've got to be prepared at times to go very short and pithy and say, you know, why is that important or so what? You know, so and similarly, if I watch some of the broadcasters and some of the post-match stuff, I mean, you know, how important was that win? Well, I mean, you know, come on, what are we expecting the interviewee to set now? It wasn't an important win at all. We're really not bothered about taking those three points. I mean, so for me, it's, a, and I'm pleased, I'm not, I'm not berating anybody. All work is honorable and there are brilliant ways of doing things and everybody's different. But my approach has always been relaxed, probably too relaxed for a lot of organizations. But I guess at least I'm being 
true to myself and, 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 and if you get me and how I do things, then you get me and that's great. And, and if you don't, well, we can't all like all things at all times. We've all got tastes, values, beliefs, and, you know, I've got mine and you've got yours. Absolutely. And just looking at broadcasting the bigger picture, uh, we had this discussion before coming on air with regards to technology. How is the game changed with technology now? Because people, you know, 30 years ago thought broadcasting had to be on a TV screen, you have to be on radio. But now we've got Instagram lives, Facebook lives. How important is it for students to understand that they can sort of practice, because that's what I do on my podcast, I practice here, that you can really start today. It's just having the right attitude um, with regards to what you're trying to achieve with regards to your communication, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's a simpler process, isn't it, than me having to sort of record on a little, it was almost a music recording studio back when I started, and then run cassettes off. Of course, it's a very instant medium. Everybody can do it, and it's accessible. Now, some would say that that creates a whole world of opportunities. I, I would agree, except that you've got to flag up the fact that how are you going to monetize this? Because, of course... What social media has done is put a huge amount of output out there, but it's only still the chosen few that actually permeate through and then get picked up for the more lucrative roles. I know people can pick up followers and, you know, advise, why don't you buy that water bottle or that pair of trainers or whatever and get all those residual bits of income. But I still think it's the exception rather than the rule in terms of you know that particular medium and, and format there. Uh, the other side of this, of course, is technicals. And we had a little bit of a, a two-and-thing before we managed to make this, this happen. And we tried one platform and then tried another. And of course, those little irritations are there. But you know, one of the great things we're recording this sort of post-lockdown, but still in a, a state of social distancing. One of the great things is, uh, you know, for example, radio-wise, a lot of people are broadcasting from home these days. And, and you know, the Beeb came up with this little gizmo that plugs into my internet. Uh, I can sit in um, around my own table here and I can do two hours worth of radio. We established a Zoom link so I can see the other people that are in the discussion. We can signal to each other, can I come in next? And this kind of stuff. And so, you know, there's been a shortening there because what was a 24-hour job of me having to travel from London where I live up to Manchester, maybe not get off air till 10.30, stay over, come back, can suddenly become a four or five-hour job of a couple of hours research and do the program itself. And similarly, you know, I think the whole COVID lockdown thing and the amount of stuff that's been produced from home has, has, has made pictures like the ones that Zoom and Skype and Teams produce much more acceptable, even on mainstream formats and big terrestrial programs like the 10 o'clock news. So help to break the, the barriers down, you know? Absolutely. Again, I hope the listeners are taking this all on board because if you want to get into broadcasting from experience, you've got to do the reps. At least my next question, because you said this before air that, you said being resilient is the key factor when pursuing a career in sports broadcasting. Could you just elaborate what you mean with regards to somebody, let's say, wants to work at BBC? Like, how resilient were you with regards to all the roles you've had there? Uh, I, I mean, I know you're going to ask me at the end to, to give my top three tips, but I'm going to burn one now, because which I'll, I'll repeat, because I think it's salient. I would say... You have to 
learn the art of rejection and that the next best thing to a yes is actually a no. Because if you don't put yourself out there and try and push against the doors, you're definitely not going to get anywhere, are you? If I sit here and say, well, you know, I'm not sure whether I should go and open that door and see if there's a little sweetener, a little goodie in there for me. If I don't push it, there's definitely no benefit. So it can only get better than this certain situation. But, but, but after a yes, if it's something I'm really chasing, actually quite quickly afterwards, you want a no because you want to know it's time to move on. There's no point in having little things that make you feel good, a prospect that maybe one day I'll knock on that door and it could have some benefit. But, you know, that just makes you feel good, but it's not going to move you forward, is it? And the same applies to guest booking, actually. Now, if, if I'm pursuing a club and I want Leeds United to give me Patrick Bamford for an interview, do you know what? By sort of Tuesday lunchtime, if I'm filming on a Thursday, if it's not going to happen, I'd rather have a no than a maybe because I've still got a four-minute film to make and I've got to go somewhere else and fill that slot. So don't keep me strung out till Wednesday night because I, I, and then give me a no. I'd rather have a no earlier in the, the week. So, yeah, resilience is absolutely paramount. And, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of younger people just starting off, guys like yourself, I'm sure you've had knocks along the way, but life brings its knocks. I, w- I don't want to deflate any of you. But there will be junctions and roadblocks that you've got to get around, and there will be moments of huge disappointment. I had one a few years ago where, at quite short notice, I lost one of the sort of major commitments I had. And it was a desperate time of scrabble and worry because I'm a little bit older and you've got commitments. You think, how's this going to work? How's that going to work? Um, and quite a, a prominent football manager is a good friend of mine. And I've sort of nursed him a couple of times when he's got the sat. So I rang him and said, How would you deal with this? He said, You know what? For every sort of five good things that come along in life, I like to get a bang in the balls. Now, that's within reason. I'm not talking about financial meltdown or I'm not talking about parents being ill or whatever. But I like because, you know, occasionally a road bump is a good straightener and it allows us to press the reset button and look and go, do you know what? That that sort of 20% of my life was not quite working so this has been a good moment, a bit like COVID has been, Ed, to just draw the line in the sand and go, I like that about myself and what I'm doing. I like that. I like that. But maybe it's time to start deviating off and going on that slightly different route. Just on that point, how has your sort of entrepreneurial sort of mindset supported you? Because like you said, we can't prepare for everything with the guards are controllable. So you said you're very entrepreneurial. How has that supported you? with these hard, big moments? With the big moments? Well, I'd listen, I think there's probably a, I'm sure people that are far better qualified than me will say there are probably stages of those things, of, of the sheer shock that you have to absorb and deal with for two or three days. And then that, the sort of lingering disappointment. And, and you know what I think as well is, I think you have to, yeah, you can learn lots from football managers and they're obviously coached in the event of the sack, not, to say anything untoward and again this this pal that nursed me to that disappointment said keep your dignity at all times and you know what there were times when I felt like ringing a particular executive who had probably left it too late to tell me and caused me quite a lot of sort of short-term pain and telling him what I thought but 
you know what? It's given me the higher ground in the long run. So, you know, you've probably got to go through those. There's, there's probably stages and then there's a confusing point and all that worry and anxiety. And then you start to have the germs of new ideas with probably acceptance and then the germs of new ideas and then things start to flow and build up. I mean, coronavirus has been one. I mean, I'll be perfectly frank with you. I was absolutely flying for the last year and I've got some amazing opportunities. I work with a university called UCFB, who maybe some of your listeners have heard of. They've got campuses at the Etihad and at Wembley. They use the power of sport to underpin their courses in traditional football coaching, but also in media, in marketing, in finance. They've got a whole raft of degrees. But I'm kind of the face of their uh, newly launched Global Institute of Sport. And this year... Uh, well, I was supposed to do Melbourne, New York, Atlanta, and Toronto, and I got out to Melbourne. I hosted a week-long sporting summit at the G, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, the sort of Wembley of the Southern Hemisphere. And then, of course, while I was over there, coronavirus started to uh, hit rather badly, and suddenly New York, Atlanta, and Toronto went by the wayside, and we had to do those virtually from where I'm sitting now with guests joining me every day so uh you know we sometimes things come along and and i've had to actually it's been a different skill set because i've had to rein in my natural my natural way of hustling if you like and scraping and actually appreciate that a lot of people i sell to if you like a lot of people i would normally go to and say oh i see you doing that event you need a host for it Actually, they're fighting for their lives and they're firefighting. They're trying to hold their businesses together. They're trying to look after their uh, employees. So I've had to learn the art of being patient, not let myself off the hook, but go, you know what? There's no point in knocking on speaker agencies to host events at the moment, is there? Because as we, as we record this in the middle of August 2020, you know, there's no certainty when events inside are going to return might be six months might be a year until we can all get the vaccine so um you got to keep your hand and you got to be empathetic you got to try mindful and, yeah encourage encourage people to keep going but at the end of the day it's a kind of hit i've had to take and um it's been financially painful no doubt about it but luckier than some in so much as at least i'm standing still when i heck a lot of people are seeing their coffers sort of swallowed up and 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 are going backwards mark thank you so much for sharing this because i think this is like the behind the scenes which in the public world people don't realize how in my opinion the sports industry is suffering and just relating to something i'm experiencing now and i actually did a podcast on it of those mini wins and reflecting on smelling the roses if that makes sense have you now thought of that now looking forward when this covid sorted out that to appreciate the good times i think it uh, have we all become a little more introspective have we all started to analyze how we do things and i think you're absolutely right you know it's been particularly during that period of lockdown you know we all needed an, a kind of anchor and mine was doing pe with joe every morning i just got my backside out of bed put put youtube on and then joe wicks put me through my paces for half an hour it kind of gave me something and others i'm sure went to make sure the bed was made or the kitchen was cleared and the dishwasher was done so you're right. And one of the things I, you know, it's, it's, listen, it sounds poncy, doesn't it? But, you know, practicing a little bit of gratitude, opening the windows, appreciating that I live somewhere reasonably nice, that 
a nice big wind communal window box. I'm in a sort of converted warehouse. I live in a nice big sort of communal window boxes sprouting these lovely flowers and stuff like that. I can look out and see the River Thames out. I'm like, you've just got to appreciate some of these things. I've got, you know, some, some great friends I can confide in. I've, I've got family I'm immensely proud of. So you've just got to, you, yeah, you're right. Small wins is right. You've got to just take those victories and be grateful for where we are and what we've got, which I hope I've tried to reflect in, in this here and now. And of course, it's, it's a little bit easier when you're older and you've built up a bit of a back catalogue or you, you're feeling a bit happier within your skin because honestly, although those knocks hurt when they first happen, they actually become part of your character and you learn to appreciate that, you, you know, there's always a way through, you know, and, and you've, you've got to keep going and keep finding it. Absolutely. And can I just say, everybody, this is a small win for me, jamming on the mic with Mark right now. I said to him when we had our first phone call, I said, I recognize that voice and I explained that I learned from you, Mark. So I'm really enjoying this conversation. And the one thing I just want to talk about now, because I know it's a passion of yours, is presentation skills would you mind talking about what inspired you to sort of create your own little niche on the side of helping people be better presenters could you just explain this in a little bit more detail well I listen I think it's a natural extension of what I suppose is my sort of descriptive sentence you know what do I do I help people tell their stories you know I help people tell their stories in terms of doing films on them I, if I'm on the results program or something, I'm telling stories of what's happened across the afternoon. If I'm hosting a, a conference, I'm sort of making sure that my guest intros properly introduce a speaker and I'm listening to what they say and reinforce the key messages afterwards. If I'm interviewing legends and I tend to go out with, I've been lucky enough to go out with some of the great names of the game. I'm helping coax Ryan Giggs or Paul Skulls Harry Redknapp's sort of key stories out. So I suppose coaching them in their public speaking and presentation skills, I suppose, is a natural extension of that, just helping people to be the best version of themselves that they can be, you know. And, you know, the actual percentage of the communication process that is the words is actually just 7%. You know, the other 93 is our tonality. So the pitch, the pace, the power of the voice, which is a, a brilliant instrument. And obviously our body language, are we standing straight? What's our stance like? What's our eye contact like as we address a room? What are we doing with our hands? So it, it, it's a huge, great subject. And it's one that I think is a sorely neglected area of personal development and yet i think there's a, uh, a statistic from the the carnegie institute which was formed by the great american industrialist andrew carnegie over a century ago and they've schooled like nobel prize winners and it said that 85 percent of your professional revenue will not come from your hard skills so not if you're a football coach your hard skills are obviously your ability to coach football people. Now, listen, you couldn't do the job without having those hard skills, but actually 85% of our professional income will come from our ability to educate, inform, inspire, influence, negotiate. They're all soft skills. They're all people skills. So when we're talking about presentation skills, I don't think they just involve big, massive presentations, 200 people, a one-off 20-minute 
wrap on whatever your chosen subject is. To me, presentation skills are exactly the same when we're addressing our regular circle of influence. So that might be a, a team of people we talk to on a regular basis, one-on-one transactions along the way, media appearances, people you bump into in the, in the street. You know, the phrase I always use is, constant transmission as potential leaders as the people that are listening to us talking now they're going to go out and go about their business and hopefully reach a, a high level and everywhere we go we are leaving our imprint on the world we, somebody is taking an impression of us they're thinking things about us as a result of how we're standing what we're wearing whether we've done our hair or not you know, the tone of our voice, a facial expression, you're constantly on guard. You're constantly making or breaking somebody else's day. When we go in a shop, we have a choice. We can either be bright and cheery with the shopkeeper and say good morning and buy whatever it is we want to buy, or we can go in miserable, sullen, plonk our product down on the counter. And it affects every area of our life from the second we open our eyes to the second we go to sleep. We are in control within reason of our own destinies. Obviously, hardship comes along, difficult things in life come along, and they're going to affect our flow. But we're all constantly transmitting, and football's got some great leaders on that front, of which obviously Klopp is the absolute top, top guy. I mean, I'd like to encourage people that this is a skill set that can be learned and developed, but when you look at Klopp, you just think this guy has got something born into him that as a as a football manager that had just been relegated in 2006 with Mainz I think it was he still managed to become a pundit on German television and built this whole persona that took him off to Dortmund and has arrived him over here but the guy just transmits this air that that he's living life with passion and living life with enjoyment. But of course, at the other side of this, and I had this conversation with Gareth Southgate after the 2018 World Cup, I said, do you want to do a few more of the sort of events that we'd done in the past? He said, yeah, maybe, but I do have to manage my energy levels. And if you're going to give huge amounts of yourself to everybody that you encounter and, and keep that maxim of constantly transmitting to the fore, then you do have to accept the fact that you'll have to take yourself off occasionally in the privacy of your own home and have some downtime because you'll burn yourself out otherwise. Just on that note as a broadcaster, how important have you found it to have that bit of TLC for yourself so you don't burn out? Because trust me, on my podcast show, I've been consistent year in, year out, and I'm learning those hard lessons. Actually, you've got to take a step back and recharge the batteries. Yeah, and I pushed myself too hard in the early days, you know, because you know writing a script, going back to Red Balls on Fire was was hard, and I, you know, I can remember staying up the night before till one half past one, two o'clock in the morning, doing whatever's necessary, pushing, pushing, pushing. But as you as you get more experience, you learn to use the subjectivity of standing back off a subject, and you also learn your physicality as well. That I have a kind of limit. And if I've got three or four projects coming up in short succession, I know that might be a time when I'm going to have to push myself. Let's say I'm going away for a three, four day trip and there's, you know, a lunch to host and then a conference to host. And then I'm doing 
uh, radio and telly on a Saturday and doing a film along the way. You might have to burn the midnight oil occasionally, but you'll burn yourself out if you don't pace yourself. So I've probably got cutoff points now and I know I might need an hour's telly and I certainly know I'll need to try and get to bed for me before midnight because after that, just no matter what time I get up seems to make me weary and and tired so I'm, I'm i'm much more disciplined from from that point of view and you know stepping away and doing something different can l- lead you to a whole different area of inspiration steve mclaren the, the former england another former england head coach said to me in my early days of broadcast he'd just taken over as middlesbrough manager i said how have you been able to be fast-tracked so quickly you know he'd been at he'd started off driving the the, the sort of minibus as youth team coach at oxford got taken into Derby and then was elevated to Sir Alex Ferguson's assistant. He said, wherever you go, whatever you do, be a sponge. If any UCFB students are listening to this, they must be bored stiff of me saying this, but every single encounter that we have is a seed of inspiration that might just be able to be sucked into our sponge and then squeeze it out in your glass or your bottle of wisdom. And that becomes the mix and essence of who you are i watched something that you did you did uh something a little while ago with alistair mccall and you talked about was it second half thinking that you'd read in the sir clive woodward book and i'd never heard of it before and i'm doing a big walk in august 2020 150 miles around greater london it's called the london loop and there's a couple of days where the sort of prescriptive legs are quite a, a little bit too short to justify traveling from Southeast London where I live all the way to Southwest and just walking six miles. So I tried to bang a couple together and I did one the other day on a really hot day and I was flagging. So do you know what I did? I got to a sort of halfway point and I sat myself down and got some wet wipes out and refreshed myself and I had lots of fluids and sat and chilled for 15 minutes and then I dug in And I went again with a fresh mentality. Instead of plodding on, dripping with sweat and dehydrated and my my sock ridging underneath and a bit of grit in, I just straightened myself up and I I employed second half thinking. So the seeds of inspiration everywhere we go, every conversation we have, and I'll take things away from this. Same here. Look, I'm a sponge right now listening to you and out of interest, Mark, what have you enjoyed the most from your career looking back right now? I like people and I like chatting to people. And I've been fortunate enough and I've shared a, a few of those conversations with you today. I just, I just like interacting with people. It energizes me. Those that are a bit, a bit more dour can, can, suck the lifeblood out of you if you allow them to so I think there is a line of thought that if somebody's not your cup of tea or a bit negative you know stay away from them but positively too you know sometimes we've just got to bombard people with our own energy and bring them up to our sides you know so I I gave that analogy of how you apply yourself in a in a shop you know you might have to go back two or three times if it's your regular shopkeeper until you've built that rapport and they'll come up to your level if i always remember my ages and ages ago my local postmaster was such a miserable miserable git and i you used to go in and it would be torture to go in there and i matched his persona for about 10 12 years and then suddenly one day 
I didn't even think about doing it. It was, it, it was subconscious. It wasn't even conscious. I went, good morning, how are you? And he changed his persona to match me. And from that moment onwards, our relationship completely changed. And he'd be sullen and miserable to everybody that went in. And as soon as he looked up and saw it was me standing there, he'd go, hello, how are you today? Yeah, are you having a good day? So, you know, we can control our relationships. And, and that's been the great joy for me it's just it's just forming nice relationships with people and and you know being able to chat to them about all sorts of stuff which is kind of where we started when i told you about my little encounter with roy hodgson all those years ago absolutely well i've really enjoyed this conversation with you and i feel like we're at a great stage of the interview i'd like to finish with an inspirational question and you've provided bags and bags of career guidance tips even behind the scenes with regards to your stories there are career tips behind the story if that makes sense out of interest though what three tips would you give to a sports graduate who wants to pursue a career in sports broadcasting i'm going to be repetitive i'm going to say remember that adage of constant transmission there's a, an ancient greek philosopher called socrates and his quote his most famous one is be as you wish to seem be as you wish to seem. So bear in mind, you control the impression that others have of you. So give it your best shot and work on those communication skills. The next best thing to a yes is a no. Don't hold back and keep little favors for a rainy day. Try and open those doors because it's definitely a no where it stands at the moment. And thirdly, make things happen for yourself. Uh, you know, no, but very few things have dropped in my lap. Don't get me wrong. There have been two or three, but I'd like to think that I earned those by applying myself in all those other scenarios. So please don't wait for stuff to happen. And if you get a chance in a job, you'll have to get your a, a job that you're really looking forward to. You, you'll have to get the tone right. You know, you can't go in on day one and want to change the world, but you can be proactive and you can help the people that you're working with and for by handing stuff to them instead of saying what would you like me to do go i've got x i've got y i've got z so be self-sufficient and make stuff happen for yourself that is great i really do hope the listeners take those three points on board especially make things happen out of interest mark how can people interact with you online well, listen, I, I'm, I'm going it, to, it's not hard. So you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. I've got my own website as well, which is my name. So www.markclement, that's M-A-R-K-C-L-E-M-M-I-T. That's M-A-R-K-C-L-E-M-M-I-T.com. And, you know, my biogen stuff's on there and photos and all that kind of stuff. But there's also a big section on the presentation coaching that I do. So if I can ever help get in touch that is great to all the listeners listening in all those links will be on my website relating to this podcast chat mark it's been an absolute pleasure jamming with you on the mic today thank you very much thank you ed i've thoroughly enjoyed it wow what a humdinger of a podcast and if you've got to check out what humdinger means it means remarkable you can google it and see the definition but honestly i really do hope you enjoyed this week's podcast for me, it was a real privilege to listen and ask questions to Mark during the podcast. And I learned so much myself during the process, and I hope you did too. 
With regards to this week's podcast, I hope now you have a better understanding of what it really takes to pursue a career in sports broadcasting. And the one thing I have learnt with regards to the different broadcasters on the podcast show I've had on, every journey is slightly different. But there are some key themes that are relatable. One of them is communication skills. Having the ability to communicate effectively, if that's on television, if that's on the radio, if that's on you know, writing, having the ability to communicate is so important. But also the second one, and it really relates to that Roy Hodgson example, which Mark shared, it comes down to building those relationships or building that rapport with people. And this tip is applicable. If not, it's applicable to nearly every job in the world. Having the ability to communicate clearly and build that sort of I call meaning relationship but Mark calls it building that rapport is so important like that Roy Hodgson one was a great example where he was a bit flustered with the mics with the tech team so Mark just turned up slightly to the side and talked about the Rolling Stones and other rock bands it just shows it just changed the topic he calmed Roy down and you know he managed to present the event effectively Mark did for that example I really do hope you learn a lot from that mini case study or mini story because if you can learn all these different stories that Mark shared I promise you you'll be a better communicator and for that reason I felt this podcast was a masterclass and what I mean is I felt nearly every element of what it takes to pursue in the in sports broadcasting it was taught today and for me I'm super grateful it's interviews like this that inspire me to do more but also I'm grateful at the same time for Mark sharing that knowledge with you and if you don't mind I'd really appreciate what one learning lesson you've learned from Mark and share it on Twitter with Ed Bowers 101 and also at Mark Clement because for me this is what learning's about it's about sharing and building engagement of meaningful knowledge that is applicable and I'm a firm believer that this podcast can really educate people if you have the aspirations to pursue a career in sports broadcasting. So look, I really do hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. Really apply these sports career broadcasting tips, put them in action, make it happen and just do it. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Mark said, when communicating with people in the sports industry, build rapport do your research on that person, treat that person like a human being and be genuine and interested in what they do. If you do that, you'll reap the benefits with that person.